Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another edition of Agree to Disagree. I'm your host, Jacasello. With me, as always, is the man, Noah Schwartz, the myth, Dean Gutick, and the legend himself, Aiden Shard. Gentlemen, how are we today? Fantastic. Election day. Yes, indeed. Go vote. Today's a very big day. We got election day, and we got a lot to talk about. We're going to talk about Steve Cohen and the Mets sale. I know Noah's excited about that. We're going to do a brand new segment. We're going to do all-time teams. I'm going to give my all-time Mets team in honor of Steve Cohen and the Mets sale. We're going to talk a little bit about the NBA draft, and if we have some extra time, we're going to go into Trevor Lawrence. All right, let's get right to it. Let's start with Steve Cohen. So this past Friday, the MLB owner, the MLB owners committee voted on Steve Cohen, whether he'd be approved or not, to officially become the new owner of the New York Mets. And there was also the looming question of whether Mayor de Blasio will accept this sale. Will he allow it to go through? Well, all of our questions and all of our fears, all of our fears, they were all answered this this weekend. And Steve Cohen got the approval, 26, 26 approved, 26 yes votes, and Mayor de Blasio approved. And Steve Cohen is officially the new owner of the New York Mets. Noah, I'm going to start with you. How do you feel about this? Well, Jack, uh, I, I'm honestly... I'm honestly still like not even in my right mindset about how this is all, how this all happened. It is such a surreal feeling to have this guy as the team owner. And I would like to thank him officially publicly on the show for honestly, and I, I don't, I don't take this lightly. He is honestly like a savior to a, a large segment of the population in our city. I mean, the amount of Mets fans that have had to suffer and just wait around with these whoop with the Wilpons for the last 40 years. And in the case of Jack and I, about 20 years when they have all this power, it's been a long time and they have been with this organization for far too long. They messed up far too many times. There were way too many mistakes made, bad signings, inactivity in free agency, PR messes. There were just so many things that happened. And now it is on to a $14 billion man, Steve Cohen. He's going to own the team. He's going to spend like crazy. He's going to try and win like crazy. He's going to try and connect with the fans. He's already has a Twitter account talking to fans, asking them for suggestions on what they want. It is just perfect. And I am so excited. And I know all Mets fans across the city, across the country, really anywhere. We are all so thrilled about what has happened this weekend. It's, it's really a surreal feeling. That's, that's the best way I can say it. I can say from, from an outside perspective, I don't know a lot about, you know, the, inner details of the Mets organization. I don't really pay attention to that, to be honest, but from everything, everything I've heard, you know, the, the transition from the Will Ponds to Cohen has seemed like it's going to be amazing for, for Mets fans. I mean, and, and from everything you guys have said, the old owners and the old management didn't really care what the fans thought. They were just in it to make the money. They were, they were in it to, you know, hopefully get a good record, hopefully win, but sell tickets, sell jerseys, do whatever it took. And Cohen's actually uh, already, like you said, you know, taking fan suggestions. He's actually seeming to care about what all these, what all the fans want to see. Um, and to him, it's not like he's getting into this business to make money. He's a billionaire. He has more than enough money. He's not, he's not in this just to make a quick buck and then sell the team. Um, he, he seems like he truly wants what's best for the team and that is good for the Mets um, I was for a brief time in my life a Mets fan don't ask why hey I'll, um, I'll take it I'll take it I never I never really paid attention to them it was back when I was like really young 
but uh, they still do hold that little place in my heart also because they're not the Yankees. Um, so, you know, that's, that's how I feel about it. So yeah, good luck gonna, to the match moving forward. Yeah. And, and I was going to get into that point. I was going to say that this actually is probably also, also in terms of for the Red Sox. I think this helps them a lot, especially in terms of their own division. It's going to be a lot harder for the Yankees. Say they want that one superstar, the Mets and Yankees, they can get into a lot of bidding wars and they, the Yankees could lose some of them and that could hurt their roster in some years. It could. That can really help the Red Sox and anybody in that division. And I think it's, it's important to note, just as Aiden was saying, he really cares. He's actually a fan of the team. Yeah, that's the I biggest mean, thing. And people were talking about this when, when City Field was built in 2009, that, that Fred Wilpon was basically just trying to build his own Ebbets Field, trying to make the Mets like a second coming of the Brooklyn Dodgers. That was really what it seemed like he was in it for. And the new stadium was totally built after Ebbets Field. They had Dodger sort of memorabilia all over the place. That's really the vibe you got. It wasn't the Mets home. And then over the years, they have improved it and made it more like our own stadium. But in the beginning, it wasn't. And there was a lot of criticism for that. He was a Dodger fan growing up. And and so that's what happened. Now, this guy's a fan of this team, of this organization, and wants to see the Mets win. Not anybody else win. He's not in it for any other reason. But he wants to win with this team and have success for this city going forward. I mean, this is a huge uh, move for the Mets, and I don't want to compare owners, but of course, you know, there's guys like, you know, Steve Ballmer who are invested into the team. And I feel like a guy like this, uh, Steve Cohen, is a huge fan. He's enthusiastic about the team, and he's someone who's all in on the team. I feel like he's an owner that's not going to be afraid to spend. He's going to take the Mets to the next level. I hope so. I yeah, really absolutely. do. And the thing that makes me the most excited, he's, his net worth is $14 billion. Noah, the next three richest owners combined don't even have his net worth. And I just I feel and I just feel this offseason. Is, is that true? Wow. No, yeah. He, wow. He's over double the, the net worth. Like his net worth of 14. And I think the, the next person on the list is, was it like six, six billion, Jack? No, I think? Four. Or four, four billion. Yeah. I mean, it's not even a question. The, I mean, think the difference is huge. Yeah, but I, I just feel I just feel he has so much money to spend. He just can't wait to come in here and spend it. I'm so excited. I I, I hope that you guys you know make some improvements in this offseason, next offseason. But I really really hope that they don't just you know take the Yankees route and you know win a bunch of championships just because they have a higher payroll and they can pay millions of dollars to every single superstar who wants to come to the team. I wow. I really hope that doesn't happen because I don't like watching that as much. Um, and I know plenty of teams have done it, but no one has done it more blatantly than the Yankees. I just hope the, the Mets don't fall into that. Well, I wanted to get yeah. into that, Aiden. So one of the biggest things about Steve Cohen actually coming here and owning this team is that he is going to, and this is what we've heard widespread rumors about, he's going to spend on the infrastructure of building a sustained organization. And that involves scouting, that involves uh, analytics, that involves draft all the different things you've got to do having a minor league system that's sustainable and and brings up young talent every year that's really i think where he's going to spend a lot of the money at first is to just build a consistent winner because one of the things that happened that you would see time and time again with the Wilpons was like in 2006 the Mets were great and then 2007 and 8 they fell off and then they didn't make the playoffs again until 2015 2015 they went to the world series everyone thought they'd be a, a consistent winner going forward and they made the playoffs one more time in the wild card game and haven't made it back since so you just, you just see that they have their one outlier season and then it's mostly losing besides that. I think Cohen wants to make it so they have high expectations every year and they can get to the playoffs time after time after time and there's no drop-off after that. You yeah, talked, I agree. You talked about, you know, yeah, building up players, getting, getting better scouting, getting better at drafting. Um, I think a big thing to note is, you know, winning teams sell tickets, winning teams sell jerseys, but what really makes fans love a team 
is having those, you know, uh, having those players that are grown throughout the organization, you know, the players you draft that you build up through your minor league system, and then they play with you. Uh, those, those players always, even if they're just mediocre, you know, they, they are loved by the fan base. Um, you, you see that in every, in every uh, team. Yeah. And that's... You, you can pay millions of dollars to bring a superstar over and have him be the cornerstone of your fan base. Uh, but, you know, I think, Boston, like Boston fans are always going to love Mookie Betts no matter what, because we built him up. He was with us, even though he's now in the Dodgers. And the, the Mets have the same thing with uh, DeGrom. And um, yeah, I'm, I'm going to agree. The, the other guys, Syndergaard, Conforto, Alonzo, all Alonzo, that's right. Yeah, I mean, like, yeah, I was going to say that's a perfect, that's perfectly right. And when you look at the Mets roster, pretty much that's like the, the their roster is completely, with the exception of a few pieces, is really a homegrown built. You look at Alonzo, Rosario, Jimenez, Conforto, Dom Smith, Brandon Nimmo. Yes, like all these guys are the guys that Sandy Allison drafted. He's coming back. Everything good about this roster is because of Sandy Allison. Now they just need to add those, to use free agency to add those pieces that they're missing. And I think they could really be a contender in the next couple seasons. Yeah, and, and even Syndergaard, Jack, I mean, you didn't mention it, but he was traded from the Blue Jays, but he came up through the Mets, you know? Yeah. He was in the minor leagues with the Mets, got to the team in 2015. So there are these these homegrown pieces throughout the organization and hopefully, because they, they don't have a great minor league system now, but I think in the next few years as they continue to draft and, and get better with this, I think we'll see more guys brought up that can actually help the team in, in, the, in the now period and also in the future. That's really what I'm hoping for. Yeah. All right. Uh, anything else anyone wants to add before we move on? Let's go Mets. Yeah. All right. So we're going to move on here. So we're going to – now that basketball and, and uh, baseball are both over, we don't want to just talk about football every every week just let alone so we're going to go back to doing what we did with as sports were canceled maybe some quizzes some lists so that's what we're going to do today i started this idea it's called we're going to do all-time lists we're all going to pick a team or anything we want and we're going to give our all-time team we're going to give our reasons little bullets you can come up with your own rules for how you want to do it in honor of steve cohen buying the team i decided i want to do the mets for the very first one so my rules for this one were very simple as long as the player has been on this team for three years, he is allowed to be on the team and it has to be in the role that he was used as. For example, a bench, like a, like a, like a great star can't be on the bench. It has to be like a good bench player. You know what I mean? Right. Okay. So, I'm so you're doing, you're including, you're including a bench. You're not just doing position. You know, I did the whole like bullpen and. The okay. Got it. Yeah. All right. I'm going to, I'm not, I'm just going to give quick bullets. So don't worry. All right. So starting with the, well, first off, I gotta say the team budget is fourteen billion dollars. This is an all-time team, you know, so you gotta pay the bills. Yeah. So, true. Steve, so Steve Cohen is the owner. <laughs> so uh, we're gonna go with the so the GM. I'm using the '80 staff. I'm using Cashin and Davey Johnson because they they managed a lot of Eagles, a lot of stars, and they won. All right. So getting right into the roster, I'm gonna start with the starting starting pitching. Obviously, we're starting off with the with uh, uh, Tom Terrific, Tom Seaver, probably. The greatest Met to ever play, ever play the game. May he rest in peace. He was taken too soon from dementia. Tom was the leader of the 1969 Miracle Mets, and he had a career ERA of the Mets of 2.57. And he has one of the most dominant, one of the most dominant pitching seasons with a 1.69 ERA, and is probably a top 10 pitcher of all time. So we're gonna go with Tom Seaver. Next up, I'm gonna go with the current best pitcher, uh, current best pitcher on the planet. I'm gonna go with Jacob Degrom. Jacob Degrom has been nothing but spectacular since he's come to the New York Mets. Currently, his career ERA is at two six one with back to back Cy Youngs and another dominant dominant Cy Young season with a one seven zero ERA. Next up, we're gonna go with Dwight Gooden, Doctor K. 
from the New York Mets, part of the '80s teams. Dwight Gooden, before he got, before he became, before he met his best friend in cocaine, he looked like he was going to be one of the absolute greatest pitchers of all time. He had one of the absolute most dominant seasons ever in 1985, posting a 1.53 ERA, a 24 and four record with the most strikeouts. He was nicknamed Dr. K for a reason. The end of his Mets career didn't end great, but in his prime, you can't say there was any pitcher better in the league than Dwight Gooden. The 85 so, season was just unreal. That 85 season, I think, is the greatest season I've ever, like, one of the a top Maybe. three ever. Probably, yeah. All right, next up, I'm going to go with uh, Jerry Kuzman. Jerry Kuzman is very underappreciated, in my opinion, in terms of baseball history. Only a two-time All-Star. If you look at his numbers, you would think he would at least be, like, a six, maybe seven-time All-Star. He was the... He was the sidekick to Tom Seaver during those, during those uh, six, those late '60s and early '70s years. Very consistent pitcher. Finished with an ERA of three zero nine, and um, he was great. He was part of the he was part of those championship teams. Really, uh, uh, the '69 the pitching staff was just great. Seaver, Kuzman, and if only we didn't trade Nolan Ryan, we probably would have won maybe one, definitely definitely won maybe two championships. All right, moving on to the final pitcher in the starting rotation. No one may disagree with me here. I was between two people. I'm going with the lefty in the rotation. I was between Sid Fernandez, but I decided to go with Johan Santana. Johan okay. Santana only pitched for the Mets for four years, but in his first two years, he was an all-star. He was third in Cy Young voting. He finished with a 2.53 ERA, and he holds one of the most iconic moments in Mets history with the no-hitter. So I felt it was only right to put Johan Santana on this list. I, I probably would have gone there. He's in our era, too. Yeah. So the starting rotation's ERA finishes with a 2.91 ERA. I think that's pretty good. Maybe All outlander right. I could have considered, but yeah, good, good. That was yeah, good. The lefty, yeah. I know the right. play so far. All right, I'll go with the bullpen next. So going with the closer, I'm going to go with Billy Wagner. If Mariana in the late '90s and the in the 2000s, Mariana Rivera was probably the best closer in baseball. Billy Wagner was definitely a close second. He was great. He should maybe he should honestly be considered for the Hall of Fame. It's a shame that he's not in. He he's seven time All Star. When he in his 38 year old season, the season he retired, he finished with. I think 29 saves and a 1.43 ERA. Everywhere he went, he was always special, and he was a big part of the Mets from 2005 to 2008. So I'm definitely going to go with Billy Wagner. Next up, I'm going to go with John Franco. John Franco, by many, is considered the greatest, the greatest reliever in New York Mets history. He pitched for the Mets from the 80s to the 2000s. He was he was phenomenal. Finished with a 3.310 ERA throughout his time with the Mets, and he was part of the 2000 team that went to the World Series. Next up, I'm going to go with. Jesse Orozco, Jesse Orozco yeah. was part of the 80s teams. Back then, the bullpen wasn't as crucial as it was now. You only needed like one or two arms because your starting pitchers probably pitched a lot more. And Jesse Orozco, whenever they took their pitchers out, he was always spectacular. You always knew the game was okay when he was coming in. So I'm definitely going to go with Orozco. Next up, I'm going to go with Tug McGraw. Tug McGraw was the best reliever, part of the 69 championship team. And he coined the famous phrase for the Mets, you got to believe. All right, next up, I'm going to go with Addison Reed. Addison Reed was part of the Mets for three seasons. Oh, Jack. I know what you're doing, too. What? I know you're going to go without Jerry's familiar, but put Addison Reed on the team. Yeah, well, dude, Addison Reed never had a bad season with the Mets. Mm-mm. All right, go ahead. Addison Reed, <laughs> Addison Reed, he came to the Mets his first two seasons. He had ERAs under two. In 2016, he had one of the best best setup seasons I've ever seen. He had a 197 ERA in 80 games pitched. He had, uh, I think, close to 100 strikeouts. He was phenomenal. He finished in three years with the Mets. He finished with an ERA of two zero nine. So I think he absolutely deserves to be on this team. That's just my opinion. Next up, I'm going to go with Roger McDowell. Roger McDowell next to Orozco was the was the setup man for the 1986 Mets and the 80s Mets throughout. He finished with a three one three ERA, and he was also just spectacular for them. All right, the final two arms I'm going to go with in the bullpen. I'm going to go with Armando Benitez. He was the closer. 
for the nine for the late nineties and two thousands Mets with an ERA of two seven zero in five years. He was spectacular, and he always shut games out. If only we could have won those World Series. And the last man I'm going to go with, I use this guy as a long man slash utility man. This may surprise you, but I just couldn't think of anybody else for this kind of role. I actually went with Seth Lugo. I know he doesn't have the numbers, but the only reason I go with him, because Seth Lugo is a guy, when you think about it, he can do everything. If you need him to start, he can do that. If you need him to come in and pitch four innings, he can do that. If you need to be a setup man or if you need to be a closer, he can do anything. So that's really why I put him on this list. And he's put up solid numbers in his career. So I'm going to go with Seth Lugo. I'll buy that. I just would, I would have had Familia on the team. But other than that, good yeah. pitching staff. I was thinking about Familia. The only reason I don't love Familia is because he's had so many bad years lately. That's just the only reason I don't want to put him. I'm just more of the guy that was a little consistent. All right, moving on to the bat. Oh, yeah, so the, 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 the bullpen ERA is 284, and the total pitching staff ERA comes out to 286. So I think that's not bad. It's all right. Yeah. <laughs> all right, moving on to the, the lineup. So I'm, as I'm going to say the batting, the, the order I had the batting, and I'm going to say their positions. So leading off, I'm going to go with Jose Reyes. Jose Reyes playing shortstop from 2004 to 2011. It was hard to argue that Jose Reyes wasn't the best shortstop in the MLB. And if you didn't say he was the best, you certainly would say he was the most exciting. A five-tool player, can hit with power. He can hit for average. He can run, he can steal bases. He can he can field. He can do it all. He finished with a 2.90 ERA. Uh, 2006, he was a leader. 2.90 ERA, nice. <laughs> Batting average. <laughs> Oh, I mean, right. that's, that's a pretty good ERA. I mean, I he pitched. That'd be pretty impressive, yeah. Yeah, he did pitch one game. Remember that. Okay. All right, so anyway, back to what I was saying. In, two, in 2006, he was, part of that, he was part of that great team. He was the leadoff hitter where the home run ball wasn't dominated. He had 19 homers, 81 RBI, 65 stolen bases. And it always shocked me he never won a gold glove. He was always a phenomenal fielder. So I got to give some we gotta give some love to Jose Reyes. Next up, we're going to go with Keith Hernandez. Keith Hernandez was the leader of the 86 team, one of the best defensive first basemen of all time with 11 gold gloves, and he always was a solid hitter. Uh, finished with his Mets career with a 290 batting average, so he definitely deserves a spot on this team. Next up, I'm going to go with Carlos Beltran. Carlos Beltran, 280, 280 average, the six years with the Mets, five-time All-Star, three-time gold glove, and he had one of the best seasons in Mets history in 2006. Batting fourth, I'm going to go with Mike Piazza, and he will be playing catcher. Mike Piazza probably behind Tom Seaver, probably the second greatest Met to ever play the game, was a leader of the 2000s, 2000s teams. He led them to the World Series, finished his career with a 2.96 ERA. Wasn't the best fielder, but he was probably the greatest offensive catcher there ever was. Batting fifth, I'm going to go with David Wright. David Wright will be playing third base. David Wright, if only the end of his career didn't end so harshly, but in his prime, he was easily the best third baseman in Major League Baseball. He always hit around 300. He was always a gold glove contender. He always hit over 30 home runs, 100 RBIs. He was just phenomenal. So going with David Wright, obviously. Batting six, I'm going to go with Daryl Strawberry, right fielder. Daryl Strawberry with the Mets. He played eight years for the Mets. He was a seven-time All-Star in that time. Absolutely phenomenal. Was a huge part of the 86 championship team. And he probably would have been in the Hall of Fame if cocaine and drugs didn't get involved later in his career. Next up, batting seventh, and I think Noah will disagree with me on this spot. I was between three players for this time. I went with more of a modern player. It was between Cleon Jones, Kevin McReynolds. But ultimately, I decided, because I can't take away the impact that he had on the 2015 team. Okay, I'm, that's fair. I'm I'll give you go, that. I'm going to go with Yoana Cespedes. Okay. Yoana Cespedes came in in 2015. He took a mediocre team, and he completely turned them around and led them to the World Series He's a 280 hitter with the Mets, and he's a in, great he's a great fielder, gold glover, and just phenomenal. 
in his prime, he was a he was a fantastic player, but he didn't have a very long prime. That was part of his. Yeah, problem. that was yeah. I hundred percent agree. Like I looked at Cleon Jones. I know many Met fans would say Cleon Jones, but when you look at Cleon Jones, his numbers don't hold up the Yoan Cespedes. And Cleon yeah. Jones, he spent twelve seasons with the Mets. He had ninety one home runs in three years. Cespedes almost beat that. That's why I would have put Jones just because he was with the team for so much longer. Yeah, that's I what I was going to say. That, but either way, it's fine. Go that, ahead. Yeah, that's what I was debating. Yeah. All right. Batting eighth, I'm going to go with Edgardo Alfonso, 292 hitter, was the sidekick to Piazza during the 2000s era. So that's that. So that's the lineup. And I'm just going to go quickly with the with the bench players. So I, I said I was only going to use bench players if I were on the bench. I had one exception to that just because there's really nobody else to play backup catcher. And he's a Hall of Famer. He deserves to be on this team no matter what. So yeah. I got to go. I got to go with Gary Carter. May, yeah. I mean, he also rest in peace, taken way too soon. He was one of the greatest Mets of all time. Just like Hernandez, he was one of the leaders on that 86 team. So he absolutely deserves it. All right, next up, I got four more players. I'm going to move through this quickly. All right, next up, I'm going to go with an outfielder off the bench. I'm going to go with Juan Lagares. Juan Lagares always came in off the bench from 2015, probably to 2019. Was a gold glove talent when he was out there. His, if only his offense could have caught up to his fielding, but he's not. He's a little bit of an underrated hitter. He's around a 260 hitter. He could steal some bases. He could pinch run. So he's a great guy to come in off the bench. He can play defense, and he can do it all. Next up, I'm going to go with Danny Heap. Danny Heap with the Mets, 21 pinch hit home runs off the bench he could play the outfield he's a he's another good option off the bench infielders i'm gonna go with the one guy he just won the world series i always say he's the guy one guy the mets never should have let go was justin turner justin turner is a guy that the mets never should have let go he was always good on the mets they just never had a spot for him because they had ike davis they had daniel murphy they had jose reyes and they had david wright still so there was just never a spot for him at the time if the mets kept him i do think he would have had the same success well just if he got a chance to play and the last guy I'm going to go with is Joe McEwing. Joe McEwing was a you know, utility man. He could play every position except pitcher and catcher. And he was, and he was a, and when he got to play, he was always around a 280 hitter. So very solid team overall. Good and also this team, you got to mention, they, they, they also just have the best fans. They got me, they got Noah, we got Jerry Seinfeld, we got Kevin James, Jimmy Kimmel, Patrick Mahomes, just, just seven line army. Donovan Mitchell. Yes. Just a great overall uh, team. Great pitching, great hitting. And you- I don't, yeah, all right. Yeah. Oh, who, just quickly, who were your outfielders again? Your starting outfielders? Our starting outfielders are Ewan Cespedes, Carlos Beltran, and Daryl Strawberry. So no Jason Bay? No. no. Fortunately oh, yeah, no. not. Outrage. I forgot to put Bobby Bonilla. I'm sorry. <laughs> the one guy, Jack, I was surprised you didn't put, just in terms of your position players on the bench, surprised you didn't put Andy Chavez as your as your outfielder coming yeah, off the bench. Yeah, him and Lagares. Okay. Him and Lagares. Yeah, I, I was thinking that. Good team, though. I, I like yeah. the way you put that together. I don't think it's like, in terms of baseball all-time teams, I don't think I don't think it's like the number one team. I, I do think it's top 10, not mainly because the pitching is so strong. I think, right. in, especially in the, you're in a playoff series, I find it hard to believe you're going to beat Tom Seaver. You're a prime Tom Seaver, a prime Dwight Gooden, and a prime Jacob DeGrom. Right. So, overall... Yeah, I, I, don't, I don't know enough about the Mets to contradict anything that you said outside of jason bay the man the myth the legend yeah oh my god um, absolutely no yeah. uh, but it, it seems like a good team there are a bunch of recognizable names on there i don't recognize everyone obviously but i like it i like it yeah so we're gonna we're gonna maybe do that a couple of times i think Noah. i think Noah's gonna go next i think he has an all-time lakers team ready so for you basketball fans tune in for that yep all next right. week i'll do that yeah all righty so we're gonna move on we're gonna move on we're gonna talk a little nba draft so Unfortunately, this awful time always comes around the NBA draft where I have to annoy myself because the Knicks never get the uh, never get lucky and land the number one pick. But why am I surprised? So anyway, we're going to talk about some some of the prospects and where we think their best fits going to go and some of the where, what teams are thinking they're going to do. 
So we're gonna start. We're gonna start at the top. I think we can all agree that Anthony Edwards is probably gonna be the number one overall pick. So what do you guys think of that? What do you think his best fit is? Do they look? Do the Timberwolves look to trade for a superstar? Do they add him to D'Angelo and Carl Anthony Towns? What are you guys thinking? I think he goes to Minnesota. Uh, unless Minnesota makes a trade, they could definitely use that first overall pick for trade bait. But if it stands, which I think it does, I think Anthony Edwards goes to uh, Minnesota. And I think he'd be a very good fit with D'Lo and Carl Anthony Towns. Agreed. He's got two-way wing superstar score written all over him. And that's a spot that the Timberwolves are kind of in need of. They don't really have anybody on the wing that can go get a basket for them. They had Andrew Wiggins. He's gone now. So I think he can fill that role pretty well. I agree too. I mean, we've, there's been a lot of talk about the Timberwolves potentially trading the pick. Um, I at first thought it was probably, probably going to happen because, you know, you, you carry more power with that one pick than, or with trading that pick than with using it. Uh, But also the Timberwolves are in a, in a state where they are not one season away from being a contender you know, if, if you're if you're one or two seasons away from winning it all, trading that pick might be might be good. But you are still still a couple pieces away from it, and and and, and using using that at, at in the first round, using that pick would be a big boost to the team, and then they can just keep building from there. I also think he'd fit in Cleveland, Jack. Uh, they don't they don't have anybody on the wing that really scares you whatsoever. They kind of filled the backcourt the last two drafts with Sexton and Garland. Now I think they try to find someone uh, to play small forward somewhere on the wing for them. And I think Edwards could fit that role, but I don't know if he'll fall to where the Cavs are. Yeah, definitely. Where, where are the Cavs? Are they three or four? Uh, what are they? I think they're four or five. Okay. Yeah, no, it's definitely going to be interesting. I definitely think Anthony Edwards is the d- disputed. Uh, uh, first ever the questioning who the number one pick was going to be uh, as the season, as time went on, it's, it's kind of was solidified that it was going to be him. And now the, that, the, the t- number one pick is not in need of a center. I think it's definitely going to be him. I could see Minnesota. The only question is, I don't know, maybe if was, I know like Kat and uh, D'Lo, they're friends with Booker. I don't think the Suns are going to trade him. I know that's like a possibility. You know what I mean? If the Suns want to do that, they could trade Booker for the number one pick and they can build around uh, Aiton and and uh, Anthony Edwards if they want to restart because, you know, it's in case Devin Booker's not happy, but it's going to be interesting. All right, next prospect we're going to go with is gonna probably J- is James Wiseman, the big man. So number two overall pick, potentially Warriors. We don't know if they want to take him because, you know, the Warriors want to contend. So we don't know if they're going to try and trade the pick and get, get a superstar. It's going to be, it's going to be interesting. So what do you guys think is going to happen? I love him in Cleveland. Uh, I think that's the best spot for him. Andre Drummond won't be with the Cavs for very long. You'd assume they don't have a young big man that at all scares you. So I think Wiseman would fit there. In terms of Golden State, I've been saying this for a while. They should go sign Hassan Whiteside to be their starting center next year. He's no longer fit with the Blazers. They have Nurkic back. He should leave, go go to a place where he can win. Golden State has a hole at center. They could put Wiseman as the backup for now, but they do have Kevon Looney, so I don't really know why would they would need an extra center. I think they should either trade out of the pick or find a way for Wiseman to fall, but probably take someone else. I, I just don't know how well he fits with the Warriors. I, I agree. I don't think I don't think they take him with the with the second pick if they keep it. Uh, and because of that, it doesn't make sense to, you know, if there there's going to be teams that really want him, like you said, like the Cavs. Um, that Charlotte would definitely too. what Charlotte too. Yeah, that would definitely be willing to trade up to that to that number two pick. 
So why why let him drop when you can just trade back a pick or two and still get the guy you probably probably want? Dean, your thoughts? Um, here's the thing about Lamelo Ball, and I don't want to, you know, I'm not a, I don't know about you guys, I'm not a big oh, fan. Oh, we're talking about James Wiseman. So, oh, James Wiseman. I thought you were going to say Lamelo Ball next or something. No, um, no. Wiseman. James Wiseman, Golden State Warriors. I think Golden State is the most logical destination. I'm pretty sure all of you can agree on that. Um, I feel like Golden State has been zeroed in on James Wiseman, if, especially like previous mock drafts had James Wiseman going to the Warriors. And I think the Warriors need, are in need of a big man. And I think somebody like James Wiseman would be the perfect fit for Golden State. Okay. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with that. I One trade I could see happening, I've talked, I've talked about this with Noah. I do like this move. I like, I agree with you. He could be a fit there. He could stretch the floor. He could shoot. He's a big man. He can block shots. One place I do think, though, that would be better for them because I know they want to contend. I don't think they want to – and you can't do that with the young players usually – Maybe they do this with – I love to see this with the Memphis Grizzlies. They trade for, like, Jonas Valanciunas, and they, I don't know how they're going to do it, but they can get Jonas Valanciunas. He's a guy that can get 15 and 15 for them. And they trade that pick to the Grizzlies, and the Grizzlies complete their rebuild with John Morant, Jaron Jackson, and James Wiseman. I think that could be scary for the future. And I think Golden State scary. could possibly get, like, a Dylan Brooks maybe or yeah, exactly. some other veteran players to go along with Valanciunas because you wouldn't just go with just the center on his own. Yeah, yeah, no, for sure. The Warriors can add a couple pieces that they need, and then the, the Grizzlies can like have a big three to build around. Right. That'd be great. All right, next up, we're going to go with uh, Lamella Ball. Dean, I'll let you start this one. So, um, I'm actually not a big fan of Lamella Ball. Um, I don't I actually think he's going to be a bust. Same. Um, now, I, I here's the thing. I don't know where he's going to go, because, you know, there's some mock drafts, like I said, that have him at number one or going past – so it's like, you know, where does LaMelo Ball go? Um, man, this is a tough one. I think Charlotte. I don't know if Charlotte's up there, but I think Charlotte could be a destination for LaMelo Ball. I like him in Charlotte, too. Good pick, Dean. Uh, they have a hole in the backcourt. I don't think Terry Rozier is the long-term point guard there. They do have Devontae Graham. I'm not sure if he's best utilized in a starting role or as a sixth-man uh, energizer bunny scorer off the bench. I think that's probably where... He's a best long-term fit. Um, and I think the other thing with, with LaMelo Ball that you have to remember is the guy's six foot seven or six eight. I mean, he's a big guy. I'm not sure he's a point guard long-term. He could probably play on the wing a lot and just be this terrific passer, improve as a shooter, but do that not from the point guard position where he's been for most of his life. I think he could transition and play up a spot or two. So uh, they'll have to figure it out with the positional alignment. But at the same time, I think that Charlotte's a good spot for him, and uh, I could see him definitely going there. Uh, my my pick, I, I say a certain team trades up to get him. Uh, the New Orleans Pelicans trade up to get the second ball brother. Yes. You Would get that, that chemistry. That is an unbeatable team right there. And <laughs> they Delonzo, LaMelo, you know what, at LeVar in the lineup, and you got BBB <laughs> all over again. And then you just got Zion there to just beat everybody down. Well, they have trade assets like J.J. Reddick, Holiday. They have guys. They have a lot of ammo. I I, I was thinking about it first kind of as a joke. But when you think about it, it's somewhat realistic. They carry, what, the 13th pick, I think, or the 16th or something? Um, Uh, They are 13. They are 13. Yeah. Uh, So, you know, it's reasonable to to think that they could trade up to three or maybe four uh, if they throw in a good player, too. 
Uh, and who knows, maybe LaMelo is going to be a bust, but having that, having that connection could be something that, that can't be replicated, you know? Yeah, definitely. It's gonna definitely Yeah, I, I agree. Charlotte's the most logical choice. I just think it would be really funny if he went to New Orleans. Yeah. That would be awesome. Yeah, that'd be awesome. That'd be amazing. <laughs> I agree with you guys that Charlotte was probably the best choice, but the only reason I don't feel that because I feel like LeVar is like, nah, my, my, my son plays in a big market. We're not wasting our time with Charlotte. You know what I mean? I'm like afraid. Pardon me. I'm afraid he's going to force his way to New York, which I I don't want. I, I, don't, I, I don't root for anybody well, coming out of the draft. I don't root for anybody to be a bust, but I like. I don't want Lamelo. I don't want Lamelo on the Knicks. I, the Knicks already have enough drama and enough things. I don't need Lavar Ball to be f- feuding with yeah. James Dolan. I don't need. A, I don't need more drama. So <laughs> God, for God, let go to the Knicks, please, Lord. Just, just go. We've and already seen go. the ball. Very fitting. The Ball brothers have been starting to break away from Lavar a bit. I mean, Lonzo. Lonzo did, thank God. Lonzo signed his own shoe deal. I think Lamelo has hinted at he wants to too. I think Lamel's Puma, um, right? Yeah, Puma, yeah. He, yeah. And so it's it's likely that LeVar tries to have some sort of say, but, I mean, we've all seen how disastrous his whole thing with Lonzo went. I don't think he's going to try that again. Yeah. Yeah, it's definitely, it's definitely going to be interesting. All right. Uh, another prospect we'll talk about. Uh, we'll Next up, let's go with uh, RJ Hampton. Where do you guys think he'll end up? I like RJ Hampton. I just don't think he learns how he learned he's learned how to shoot yet. That's obviously an issue in today's NBA. But he's only 18 or 19 years old. He's a slasher. He can get to the basket. And he played overseas, played in Australia, so he has played against some pros. That helps him. I do think he won't be a lottery pick. I think he'll be middle of the first round somewhere. So either a team that just wants to have a developmental young player or somebody that they can possibly look to this season, if they have a, if they have a spot, you know, on their bench that they want somebody to fill as a rookie. Um, but I could see a team maybe like Dallas or somebody like that. Who's just looking to have a young team that's getting better and better. That has a, a pick in the mid first round. That they can look to improve with that. That's the type of team I could see him going to where you can develop the Spurs, somebody like that. Um, yeah, you know, honest, honestly, I could see him possibly going to Boston. Um, the, the Celtics have a, have a weird lineup. They have right now a mix of players who are probably going to be gone soon and then a lot of players who are going to be here for a very, very long time. Uh, and so getting, getting a young star, they have the 14th pick, um, I believe. And so... Celtics just getting... always have lottery picks. <laughs> what? Celtics just always have picks. And like the, they're always yeah, I know. We, we got, it, got it from They never got had it like from Memphis. Pick. But the thing is, Aiden, they have all these lottery picks like Langford and Robert Williams and all these guys... And they don't see the floor often. And then every time there's a star available, everyone says, Celtics, you have all these picks, go trade it. And they never do it. And that's why they don't make the finals. That's, I they think, made, it's an they issue. They definitely made some strange decisions with their picks in years past. Uh, I, I also would not be surprised to see them trade, trade that pick. Um, but we'll, we'll see what happens, especially if they decide to move on from Gordon Hayward, right. uh, which I think is a good idea for them to do. He's a lot of money and he's got one year left. So. Got yeah, it. I agree. I'd like to see. I'd like to see also RJ Hampton be cool. He came to the Knicks. We'll have like the RJ, well the RJ brothers, RJ Barrett and RJ Hampton, <laughs> the just RJ. Dom- dominating the league forever. I think, you know, this may not be a. I mean, Noah mentions a match. I think the Brooklyn Nets could be a destination for RJ Hampton. I think someone like RJ Hampton's caliber could definitely come off the the bench and definitely help out the Brooklyn Nets. Uh, they already have a lot of star power, and of course Kyrie, KD. They have a solid lineup with um. 
Dinwiddie, Jared Allen. But I think someone like RJ Hampton that on a team like that coming off the bench could be not in, like a, a chess piece is what I would say. Right. I get yeah. that. Yeah. All right. Uh, we'll go a couple more maybe. Um, next guy I'll go with uh, is the guy I hope this, I actually hope the Knicks get. Uh, I'm going to go with Cole Anthony. What do you guys think? Where do you guys think for him? <sighs> Tough. I loved him during the college season and I think he's crazy talented. But I have to say, I've been watching a lot of these guys, you know, in their college games and seeing the film on them. And there's one guard that really perks my eyes up for the Knicks or perks my ears up for the Knicks rather than Cole Anthony. And it wasn't that way a while ago, but now it is. Killian Hayes, the young kid out of France, really, I really like him. He looks like James Harden. I mean, I swear to God, if you watch him on film, everything about him just resembles Harden. He's a lefty. He takes step backs. He gets to the basket at will. I mean, he, he looks really good. So that's the guy I want the Knicks to take right now at number eight. But if that's not the person that they go with, Cole Anthony would be a fit. I mean, they need, they need to score somebody electric uh, that can really be a weapon for them because they just don't have a, a real point guard that, that is a threat at all on the NBA floor right now. Yep, absolutely agree. Knicks need a point guard desperately. Knicks need a lot of things desperately. <laughs> yeah, true. Like ownership. Uh, all right, uh, more, Jack. Yeah, um, is there any is there any prospect you guys want to talk about more specifically? Yeah, Dean, who do you want the Clippers to get? They don't have a first round pick. Oh, I'm sorry. Yes, of we course. I knew okay. that. My bad. Okay. Uh, I was gonna say Obi Toppin. I like Obi Toppin. All right. Um, Obi Toppin. I think Cleveland could be a destination. Cleveland or Chicago? Yeah, you know he reminds me of Amari Stoudemire, and that's what a lot of people have been comparing him to. And I think the big comparison, yeah. And I think the biggest thing is, does he develop a three point shot? And if he does, that's going to make him really dangerous because he's got the post moves. You can put him down low. He kind of reminds me a little bit of Grant Williams uh, from the Boston Celtics off the bench from as a rookie last year, sort of like that, but more explosive and maybe a better shooter. A lot of teams could use him. He's been in college for a while. He could be a a pro right away. That could start. Thirty nine percent from the three point line. Yep. That's not bad. That is very solid. On low volume, though, I think he'll, I think he'll raise his level of shooting up. Yes. Yeah, definitely. Uh, all right. Do we want to talk a little Trevor Lawrence? Yes. I know I do. All right. So this past <sighs> I weekend. I think Dean does, too. <laughs> yeah. So Trevor Lawrence has been in the news lately because he, he has been hit with COVID. And Verona. He, he missed his last game for but Clemson had a scare but they keep their national championship hopes alive as they did not lose uh, it's going to be a lot tougher this weekend as he will also be out i will let the clemson fan himself dean start it off so uh one trevor lawrence will be out which stinks it's and especially against a huge game against notre dame on the road uh dj this will be a very fun name to say dj ugalele will be starting in his place um, but as a Clemson fan, you know, I wouldn't be stunned if he goes to draft. I honestly still think he goes there. However, you know, there's reports of, you know, guys like Roddy White saying you should stay another year. And I thought to myself, if you want to win another, I know, you, Jack, you say you want a payday and for him to take the payday. However, if you want to stay one more year, win a national championship, if you can't do it this year, then why not take the opportunity and go out and win one more national championship and put a stamp not only on your career in college, but as a first overall pick, but overall, I still think he goes to the Jets. Um, 
no first overall pick has turned the down the chance to go to the NFL. So, but I would love for T Law to stay. Well, except for Peyton Manning, except for one, yeah, except for, except for one. But uh, Trevor Lawrence has a better chance winning at Clemson than the Jets. So Trevor Lawrence stay one more year uh, and enjoy it while it lasts. No, so Dean, I actually think that it's clear cut that he's coming to the NFL. But I, yeah. the, the 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 thing I'm scared about if if I'm a Clemson fan is does he even return post COVID? Because he may look at, at his season and be like, you know what? We lost the, and let's say they lose to Notre Dame on Saturday and they, they might, let's say they lose. He might think, you know what? We don't really have a real shot at a championship. It's kind of a long shot now. I don't think we'll be able to do it. Do I just opt out kind of pull like a Nick Bosa when he was at Ohio state that last year and just say, let me go prep for the NFL draft. Now I could see that as a possibility and just to just to say I'm done, I don't want to risk injury. I don't want to come back. I want to recover from COVID and just go play in the NFL. I don't need to play any more college games. That I could see as a, as a possibility. And as a Jet fan, I want to see him play for Clemson and go for the championship because it would suck to not see him to see him not out there. But at the same time, it it does make some sense for him to not want to come back post obviously I mean, post virus. I I understand. Sorry, uh, sorry, Aiden. Um, I understand. But if you were the number one overall pick. What if guys like Mac Jones, oh, I, if he doesn't go in the draft this year, Justin Fields, Trey Lance, um, this guy's probably not even going to go first overall, but he's a riser. Zach Wilson, you know, these quarterbacks are Heisman contenders and they're playing their butts off. And, you know, someone like Justin Fields could take Lawrence's spot. So if you're Lawrence, I understand your stance, wow. Noah, on if he doesn't return. However, I just think, you know, if you're the first overall pick and you're a Heisman candidate, you're the top guy right now, you want to build on that and you want to get your team to the top and you want to make sure you're that first overall pick. I dis- I disagree with you on that point. Um, just the field is not taking his spot. You look at Trevor Lawrence's draft grade. He's compared to Peyton Manning and Andrew Luck. They're the two most highly regarded QB prospects ever. The, the only way the only way Fields jumps to that number one spot is if he has a Joe Burrow like season. Yeah. I mean, the big you know, thing just started, so but you he can't because he's not going to play fifteen games, Aiden. That would be impossible. Exactly. I I just mean like that that level of production. You know, obviously not the same exact numbers, but I mean, Fields has been one of the best uh, quarterbacks in college football for a couple years now. Um, Last season, he was a Heisman contender. This season, after last week, he jumped Lawrence for the uh, fav- the, the Vegas odds. favorite to win the Heisman. Uh, honestly, I'm a little bit surprised that Clemson didn't drop in the AP rankings. They should have. Uh, they're yeah. just barely, by the skin of their teeth, ahead of Bama right now by two points. Um, so it's pretty likely that it, it, the way they looked against BC, they, they scraped by BC um, and they have Notre Dame next week, who has been, you know, fantastic. I, I agree with Noah. I think, you know, if, if they lose this game to Notre Dame, especially if it's a beatdown, uh, I think there's a very good chance that Trevor Lawrence says, yeah, I'm, I'm done. Uh, I'm taking the year off because he would n- now have missed two games, which makes it a lot harder for him to win the Heisman, uh, especially the way that some some players like Justin Fields have been playing. Um, and now his team has lost, and it, especially if it's a really bad team, that just makes making the playoffs so, so much harder in a shortened season. Uh, so one loss, the, the, a loss to Notre Dame could completely end uh, Clemson's season. I don't, I don't see 
Trevor Lawrence going back out there just for just Playoff for the spring. honor. Right. You know? No, I agree. I agree. Uh, I agree. 100%. I can partial I can partially see him going back out there because he was so part of like the the movement to get the college football season to happen. You know what I mean? He was like the leader of that, like let us play. So I don't know. I feel like it would kind of look bad on him. Like you were so crazy about that. And now you have the opportunity to play, but like, I can see, I, I see your point. I get what you're saying. But, but that, like, that, that is why this, this has to be a must win game for Clemson. You know, we already knew it was an important game, but if they lose this game, it could be the end of Aiden, Trevor Lawrence. Stop, Aiden. If they lose this game, I don't think they're out of it. As crazy as it sounds, they're playing a top four team. And they're playing without their star quarterback. I mean, don't get me wrong. I I love DJ. This is going to be a mouthful. I love DJ Ugalele. However, I just still think, you know, they barely scrapped by BC. And honestly, as a Clemson fan, I will still admit that they should be number two or number three in the nation right now. Alabama should be number one. Uh, they're yeah. the best team in the nation right now. However, I don't if they, if it's a close game, I don't think they're going to drop significantly. If However, a if it's game, a beatdown, then I think they're dropping significantly. If it's a and close you got to remember agree. this too. You got to remember this, this too. This, this, this is the team that beat Boston College, an unranked team who hasn't been good since Doug Flutie. Um, <laughs> Two points. Bill's legend. You know they they let him or they let that team lead almost the entire game, and yes, they they held them out in the second. They shut them out in the second half. But it was a six-point win against a team that they should have slapped, even without Trevor Lawrence. And they had another scare against Syracuse, a horrendous football team the week before. Let's just be honest about it. That was not a good game by Clemson. I agree. And I know that it was an 18-point margin, but the Virginia Cavaliers are 2-4, and four, and they only beat them by a couple of touchdowns. So that was not a great game for, the, for, for Clemson either. It's not like they've been this perennial super team this year the way they were last year. It's kind of a different vibe, I think, right now in Clemson. And so I think Lawrence needs to be aware of that and realize that he might just not have the yeah. firepower to beat Alabama and Ohio State going forward. And it may just be safer and better for him now to say, I'm out. Let me go prepare for the Jets. And he doesn't really have anything to prove. Yeah, you know, I agree. Winning only- the Heisman or winning the championship would be amazing for him. But it's, he's already the consensus top pick. He's not going to drop unless he gets injured or if, if Fields just balls out. Yeah, and also I agree. I agree with that. There's only here's my opinion. Like I said, you, you're what you're not going to play another college season when you can get when you then you have a chance to get nothing or get twenty five million dollars. And also you get your you get say you're a good quarterback, you get your mega deal one year sooner. So I think that's ridiculous to not think that way. But also there's only one there's only one way I see Trevor Lawrence going back to college, and that is this: at the end of the season, I'm sure his agents are going to be on the phone. They're going to talk to the Jets. And this is part. This is the only thing I fear, because part of me, like, there's a slightest fear in my mind, because the way I watch the Jets, Adam Gase looks too comfortable. Part of me fears that, like, they he sat down with the GM, he sat down with the owner, he's like, all right, look, we're gonna tank for the number one pick, we're gonna go on sixteen, you'll be back next year. I am terrified of that. That's the only way I see Trevor Lawrence avoiding the Jets is if Adam Gase is still the coach. Not gonna happen, Jack. It's not gonna happen. I hope you're right. I I just fear this. I hope I'm wrong. But I all do right. think we'll come to the Jets. All right, let's move on to winners and losers. Just quickly. Yeah, all right. So uh, I think uh, Noah. You and I are losers this week. Yeah, yeah okay. All right. Um, so who wants to st- – no, Noah, you want to start? Uh, sure. Uh, I was going to have Alabama as my winner this week. Uh, they had an, just a phenomenal win last week, and I know it's a bad team they played, but at the end of the day, a beatdown is a beatdown. Definitely a good look on their part. Clemson didn't play great. 
they're, they're the, they look like the number one team in the country right now. And considering we don't know what Lawrence's status is going to be, they would have to be considered the heavy favorite for the championship now. And Mac Jones looks like the best quarterback currently playing. I mean, maybe Mac, maybe Justin Fields, Lawrence is obviously out, but Mac Jones is playing at a really high level and you've got to give him a lot of credit for the way he's come in and replaced to us since last season. So I've got Bama as my winner. All right. Um, I'll start with the loser. My loser is, is going to be uh, Chicago Bears receiver, uh, Mr. Wims. What are you doing out there, bro? He just like walked up to the guy and just punched him. <laughs> he just walked up and like punched him in the mouth. So what, like, what are you doing? We always say Antonio Brown has CTE. I would check this guy out. But, Definitely. But anyway, <laughs> what, a, what a moron. I would have released that guy that day. He got lucky with a two-game suspension. Just, what a moron. Just walked up and punched him. Yeah. In Very funny to watch, too. though. Very yes. funny to watch. Oh, yeah. it's oh, so much fun to watch. Hilarious. I mean, it's rivalry week between Georgia and Florida. That's why they had that altercation. But it was still st- stupid. No excuse for that on his part. Yes. Yeah. All right. My winner of the week is um, Manchester United soccer player Marcus Rashford. So he had a hat trick the past week and the week before he had the game winning goal. But now he's teaming up with Burberry to support young people globally and provide fee- uh, free meals across the country or at least across the world to kids who are poor and to small businesses. Yes. All right. Aiden. Uh, so my loser this week is also football. Um, it's the New York Giants, and I can't believe I'm saying this. Um, that that game ended last night. They they should have won that game. Daniel Jones made some costly interceptions in the second half. They played way way better than Tampa Bay did. I was rooting for the Giants. I want to. I hate Tampa. I I hate New York sports teams. That was. But I was rooting for the Giants. That's how much I wanted them to win this game, or that's how much I didn't want Tom Brady to win that game. Um, and that last play, that two-point conversion, that two-point conversion, that was a questionable no-call. I am no stranger as a Saints fan to questionable no-calls. Um, you know, it wasn't as blatant as some, and I will not name names. The Giants got hosed. Let's just be but, honest about it. But that should have been called pass interference. The contact came before the ball arrived. Uh, that is, by all means, pass interference. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. I, I Daniel Jones had the drive of his life. Also, right no, I gotta say, I, your prediction earlier this year, you said the the Bucks weren't going to make the playoffs. I, they look like they're going to be one of the best teams. Well, I didn't expect the Falcons to be just the worst team ever that could just lose any possible way every week. But I mean, I thought the division was going to be better than it is. It is not a very good division. Yeah, and the NFC is also a lot worse than I figured it was going to be. Yeah, yeah. I agree with that. Yeah, but this Except Sunday the night, this Sunday night, Bucks, Bucks, Saints. It's going to be an exciting one. Huge right. on the division. All right, this has been another edition of Agree to Disagree with Aiden Chard, Noah Schwartz, and Dean Gutick. I'm Jack Asella. We'll see you guys next time.